If you would, just remain standing as we turn our attention to the reading and the hearing of God's Word now. And if you have your copy of God's Word with you, pick it up. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 5. And once you find that, go ahead and find Psalm 128 and put your finger in there, and you'll be ready for the next passage. So Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. Hear now the word of the Lord. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And now turn with me, if you will, to to Psalm 128, and hear the word of the Lord. Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways. For thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands, happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house, thy children like olive plants round about thy table. Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. The Lord shall bless thee out of Zion, and thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem all the days of thy life. Yea, thou shalt see thy children's children, and peace upon Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our most holy God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, As we gather before your face this morning, we do so, but in part, know the mercies from your generous hand that greets us afresh, and which we are so needful of to know the true blessing in this life that you have given to us. And so we render unto you our thankful hearts. Reading these passages from your holy word, we see clearly that we are recipients of blessing upon blessing, indeed, We are a most blessed people. This is your doing, and we are glad. And so we bring our praise along with the praises of all creation and ascribe all glory and honor to your holy name. Help us, we pray, by the work of your Holy Spirit, as the word is proclaimed, to grow in our understanding of blessedness and to grow in our love for you and for one another. Take command of our wills and bring them into submission to you. Take command of our minds and help us to be attentive. Take command of our spirits and grant us the joy of your salvation. This is our sincere prayer in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Blessedness. Just think about that word for a moment. Blessed, blessedness. This is the 
state of divine favor that rests upon all those who are in Christ Jesus. Is Jesus the Lord of your life? Then you are blessed. In Christ, you are blessed regardless of your past, present, or future circumstances. So then allow me to ask you a few questions this morning. Are you able to attend Presbytery and enjoy this beautiful conference center and have already begun to enjoy the sweetness of fellowship and time away from your usual routines? Obviously so. And you are blessed. Or was it difficult this morning to round up all of your children in order to get them here on time and to breakfast? Even so, you are blessed. Is your belly full with good food and you can't remember the last time you were truly hungry? If ever, you were blessed. Or are you going through a difficult trial in life, financially, relationally? Are you struggling with your health? Are there challenges in your marriage? You need to know that. Even in the swirl of these difficulties, you are blessed of the Lord. Hardly any one of us would fail to acknowledge there are seasons in life when it is difficult to feel the blessing of the Lord. And it is at times like these that it is especially important for God's people to be able to say with the psalmist, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Even in the presence of our enemies, the Lord anoints our head with oil, and our cup overflows. And so in confidence, we know with certainty that his goodness and his mercy will follow us all the days of our life, and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And this is true, no matter the circumstances in your life. Someone once noted this helpful perspective. Christ is building his kingdom with earth's broken things. Men only want the strong, the successful, the victorious, the unbroken in building their kingdoms. But God is the God of the unsuccessful, of those who have failed Heaven is filling with earth's broken lives, and there is no bruised reed that Christ cannot take and restore to glorious blessedness and beauty. He can take the life of crushed by pain or sorrow and make it into a harp whose music shall be all praise. He can lift earth's saddest failure up to heaven's glory. End quote. You see, for the believer... All of life, understood rightly, is one of blessing. As a people, as a people who speak much about covenant and, and we see covenantal structure and language throughout Scripture, we must always remember that God's blessings through and in Christ are covenantal. For there is a distinction between the believer and the unbeliever. Sinners are under God's curse for breaking the commandments of his law, but for the believer... Christ 
in his redeeming sacrifice, received in himself the curse of the law so that his people are delivered from the curse. They receive the blessing promised in the covenant made with Abraham through Jesus Christ by faith. Oh, how glorious, how glorious it is to be recipients of God's covenant blessings. And so let's take just a few moments right now to, to go back through real quickly this, uh, the Beatitudes here in this portion of the Lord's Sermon on the Mount that is so familiar, so familiar, yet can be often misunderstood. Consider again Christ's words. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. In your mind's eye, step back for just a moment and consider the people of God. Look at your circle of Christian friends, your fellow church members, and even the broader church. We, we, are an incredibly diverse group, are we not? We differ, it would seem, in every conceivable way, in personality, in interest, in social background, in intellectual and physical abilities, in appearance, in ethnic background, in all manner of giftings. And yet, Jesus, here in the Beatitudes, explains to the gathered crowds and to his disciples in particular that we all belong to the same family and have the same basic family likenesses. Likenesses that are contrary to the world around us. Upside down, you might say. As Christians, our family resemblance can be found in these beatitudes. And Christ does this wonderful work in his people, transforming them into his own likeness without abolishing their individual strengths and kingdom-serving differences. As one friend once put it, put it, Jesus isn't making us into a bland soup, but rather he is making us into a delicious gumbo with interesting and varied textures and flavors. You see, the world does not comprehend the blessing of being poor in spirit, of mourning, meekness, mercy, craving righteousness and the like. The Beatitudes are distinctives that identify those who belong to Christ and who in him are new creations. But here is where we need to be careful when we read the Beatitudes. And so as I look across this room with a crowd this size, I'm sure we have more than just a few list makers, maybe, maybe a few rules followers you can raise your are you a list maker do you like to make lists and check off those lists or maybe you're one of those people who say if only he would just tell me what to do then i would do it right well to all of us all of us who are list makers and rules lovers and to all who just want to be told what the expectations are there's something about the beatitudes we need to know these Beatitudes are not an aspirational list of what Christians are to strive for, 
Rather, it is a list that tells us who we are as Christians. Each of the eight Beatitudes Christ lists is a blessing we presently possess. In him, before you were in Christ, none of these were yours. And now that you are in Christ, they all are. We are blessed. Of course, each one of these blessings needs to be understood and fleshed out that we may more and more know who we are in Christ. But I want you to know this morning that you are truly blessed. If we view the Beatitudes as merely an aspirational checklist of spiritual qualities, then then it will likely only have the effect of producing guilt, creating hopelessness, and driving us to despair. Here's the spiritual standard. Now see how miserably you have failed. Try harder. Do better. Go ahead and grab your bootstraps and pull with all your might. We know how how high that's going to get us off the ground, right? Well, I do believe that even a moment of introspection concerning the Beatitudes can't help but show us how far short we fall in every part. That is not the point. Christ is not aiming to produce a sense of despair in us. He is setting before us a glorious vision of what the Lord intends our lives to become. It is another one of those already not yet we find in Scripture. Brothers and sisters, you need to know that you are already blessed. But not only are some of us given to making checklists and really enjoy the feeling we get when we check one of the items off the list, some of us also have a fondness for analyzing our personalities and the personalities of others. Are you one of those who finds help in understanding that maybe you're an introvert and he's an extrovert? And so for those Myers-Briggs types among us, and I know there are some, you may like knowing that I am an INTJ, and so that might help you understand why you occasionally view me as aloof, overly critical, and socially clueless. But maybe if you have some charity in your heart, you also see that I'm a bit rational and curious and independent. And so as useful as those tools can be, we must be careful that they don't become an excuse not to fully love our brothers and sisters in Christ who have personalities that are naturally in tension with ours. But quite in distinction to the, the Beatitudes is not a list of those sorts of things. It's a list of spiritual blessings. And not a single one of them is in tension with another. Can you imagine a brother explaining to you, I'm a peacemaking, hunger and thirst after righteousness type. What's up with those poor in spirit mourning folks? That sounds silly, but I wouldn't be surprised if you can find something like that out there on the internet. In the Beatitudes, Christ is not telling us who we should be. Rather, he is describing what the power of God's kingdom makes us to be. Since these are so contrary to our natural inclination, he is explaining something which is characteristic of our new desires and informing us that these are blessings. 
just as Paul uses the singular fruit of the Spirit, being love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, the Beatitudes are all a part of the whole of the blessedness we enjoy in Christ. We can no more say we have peace and joy, but, but no love and kindness, than we can say we are pure in heart, but not meek. For in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and we are complete in him. He has left us with his word, and so we are equipped for every good work. In him we live and move and have our being. In Christ we are truly blessed. It was Jonathan Edwards that made this analogy, writing, A river is continually flowing. There are fresh supplies of water coming from the fountainhead continually so that a man may live by it and be supplied with water all his life. So Christ is an ever-flowing fountain. He is continually supplying his people, and the fountain is not spent. They who live upon Christ may have fresh supplies from him to all eternity. They may have an increase of blessedness that is new and new still, and which will never come to an end. And so in addition to some list makers in the room, I suspect we also have a few yes-but folks as well. Do you know who I'm talking about? Because of their curiosity, they're always wanting to know more and desiring to clarify a point. No matter how much they agree with you, or with your point, they respond, yes, but yes, but what about this situation? Yes, but don't the scriptures also say? Because of their curiosity, we need to love these folks because they drive us to consider a matter more deeply. And so for those of you this morning who are thinking, yes, but if the Beatitudes are not to be seen as an aspirational checklist, what am I supposed to do? And so that brings us to Psalm 128. Psalm 128 has long been a favorite of mine. Since preparing this message, I've been singing in my mind this psalm, and sometimes out loud. And it's a good psalm to get stuck in your head. In this psalm of ascent, the psalmist, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives us a beautiful vignette and a picture of those who are blessed of the Lord. In verse 1, we read, Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways. So what are we to do? Fear the Lord. Walk in his ways. And brothers and sisters, please don't read this verse with an analytical, somber tone. Don't read it like Ben Stein might. Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord. No. If I understand correctly, the Hebrew word translated blessed is an interjection. It's, it's an intensive exclamation, and it's also plural. And so it carries more the sense, oh, how much happiness for everyone, or happinesses, or what blessednesses has everyone. What the psalmist is about to declare and describe, therefore, is something absolutely wonderful. And it is a picture in which we are expected to be able to see and appreciate the obvious beauty and goodness it contains. Yes, but 
How do we fear the Lord? Well, first of all, we don't, we don't want to be dismissive of genuine and real fear as it applies to the Lord our God. The all power and glory of God are overwhelming. The proper posture of human reason is indeed to fear God. We're not to be wise in our own sight, but rather we are to fear the Lord and depart from evil. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Not fearing the Lord is a mark of rebellion against God. Jesus told his disciples not to fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Yes, this fear of the Lord includes holy reverence, but it is also genuine holy fear. As Paul exhorts the Corinthian church in holiness, reminding them of God's promises, he writes, Therefore, Having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. To more clearly, the more clearly we see God as our heavenly Father, also the more we are enabled to live in the knowledge and presence of God, and the more our tender hearts come to know childlike fear mingled with reverence and love. For his holy majesty. Yes, but how do we walk in his ways? So, as a child eagerly follows and imitates his good father, as we who fear the Lord, we who possess the spirit of adoption that cries out, Abba, Father, we also follow and imitate our heavenly father. He has given to us his holy, inerrant word. In this word, we find everything. Everything that is needed for life and godliness. And the good news is the more we walk in his ways, the more joyful and satisfying our following becomes. Whereas once we could only find condemnation in his law, we now find that it is our delight. We see the glory of his perfection and wisdom in his law, and we are drawn to it. Are you drawn to the perfection and wisdom of God's law? We're also given new eyes and new desires and begin to see reality as God has created it. So the question is, do you see it? In stark contrast to all the wickedness we see in the headlines and the evil being promoted in the culture around us, with new hearts and eyes, we are enabled to see the blessing and beauty as we read the God's blessings include finding satisfaction in our labors that provides for ourselves and for our families. Seeing our wives as fruitful vines as they labor in the home and serve in the church. Knowing the blessing of children as they gather around the table, growing up and being nurtured in the fear of the Lord and becoming servants in his kingdom. The man the woman who fears the Lord, who is able to look upon his life, and this vignette described in Psalm 128, this picture, if you will, knows, knows that he is surely blessed. Those who don't fear the Lord don't see this. 
In fact, you could hardly describe a scene more triggering to the godless mouthpieces of our contemporary culture than the one we just read. And yet the psalmist is not done yet. He presses in further. The blessings from God are presented in full measure, pressed down, shaken together to overflowing. Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. The Lord shall bless thee out of Zion, and thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem all the days of thy life. Yea, thou shalt see thy children's children and peace upon Israel. Blessings out of Zion are the best blessings which flow not from common providence, but from special grace. These are the blessings which answer us in the day of trouble and in which the God of Jacob is truly our defender. Here the Lord sends his help from the sanctuary and strengthens us out of Zion. And as we gather in worship, the Lord pours out his gracious blessings in abundance. And added to this is the assurance that all the days of our lives, we will surely see the welfare of God's church. We can know with confidence that the gates of hell will not prevail against the successful advance of the church, for even the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. And in the end, in the end, Christ delivers the kingdom to God the Father when he puts an end to all rule and authority and power. He, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet, and the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. And note, note that the psalmist also highlights what a blessing it truly is to see and know not only our children, but also our children's children. Much could be said of the role of grandparents in the church, of the importance of faithful, familial continuity through the generations, and the truth that God's covenant promise is to us and to our children and even to those who are far off. People of God, our Lord is generous with his blessings. His blessings are sure and trustworthy. And so as we consider this truth, this is not a time for yes, but. This is a time to rest in God's promises and to know his blessings. For all the promises of God in Christ are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God. Let's pray. Our gracious Father in heaven, we offer our humble thanksgiving to you for your goodness. For it is your goodness that leads us to repentance. We give you thanks for the gift of your Holy Spirit and pray that you would grant us hearts eager to follow his leading. We pray that you would establish the fear of God in us and cause us to walk in your ways that we may see, hear, taste, and behold the blessedness that is from your generous hand and therefore abound in thanksgiving to the praise of the glory of your amazing grace. This we ask and pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.